We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 322 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, May 25th, 2022. I hope that you're having a good week. I hope that you are well. Uh, There is just so much bad news right now in the real world. It feels like so little is going well. And of course, with what happened at Robb Elementary School In Texas on Tuesday, things now even worse. I mean, just a gut-wrenching tragedy. Thoughts and prayers with the victims and their families. Uh, I know that you listen to this podcast for sports, and that is what we are going to discuss. But, you know, I don't want to pretend like, you know, we're in la-la land and we're not aware of what's going on. We are, of course, very aware Uh, of what's going on. So I hope you are well, and let's get to sports, uh, shall we? Uh, And in fact, we have a lot of sports to discuss. So the Commanders, uh, they on Tuesday morning held their first OTA practice this offseason that was open to the media. Uh, We saw Carson Wentz practice as a Commanders quarterback. We saw Jahan Dotson practice as a Commanders receiver. We, though, did not see Terry McLaurin. He is skipping OTAs right now due to his contract situation. We did not see Chase Young. He is skipping OTAs right now due to his injury situation. We did see Deron Payne, but he, according to a report, walked off the practice field in protest of his contract situation. Uh, I will address all of this and much more over the course of of the show. Uh, Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning did a post-practice press conference. Numerous players on Tuesday morning did post-practice press conferences. Next segment, uh, I will talk about what's going on with Deron Payne. Or is it Deron Payne? Deron Payne. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Robert. Deron Payne. Uh, Next segment, I will talk about what's going on with Deron Payne and Terry McLaurin, and Chase Young, as well as get into what Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning said about the OTA no-shows last offseason regarding Washington defensive backs that Jack Del Rio recently brought up. Uh, I'll then talk Carson Wentz, 
of comments from Ron on Tuesday morning. And I'll then talk Curtis Samuel. Yeah, remember him? Curtis Samuel of comments from Ron and Curtis on Tuesday morning. Uh, you will hear key audio. You will hear high-level, detailed, extensive commander's conversation on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast, which, as you know, covers the commanders like no other podcast or show. No other podcast or show is bringing you the audio that this podcast brings you. Uh, also, on this Wednesday installment of the pod, I'll talk Nationals. Uh, Josiah Gray got smashed on Tuesday night, and not in a good way. Uh, seven runs in three innings, a 9-4 loss to the National League-leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park. Now, also on Tuesday night regarding the Nats were the starts of minor league rehab assignments for Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross. Uh, One guy did well. The other guy did not do so well. And we have Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez updates in terms of Mike's future with the Nats and Davey's future with the Nats. Uh, A lot of Nats items to get to with you on the show. Uh, And I'll give you my thoughts on yet another extra inning game for the Orioles, their third extra inning game in five games, uh, though this one was a loss, a 7-6-11 inning loss at the Major League leading New York Yankees on Tuesday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Roger Gonzalez in South Texas. I'm the owner of our commanders, Dan Snyder. Uh, By the way, some new reporting on Dan's ownership of the commanders, the status of that ownership. Uh, So we, of course, on Saturday afternoon, had the report from USA Today Sports, which had multiple anonymous quotes from NFL owners saying that Dan Snyder is in danger of being ousted as owner of the Commanders. Not that this is going to happen like now, but the writer of the report, NFL columnist Jared Bell, quoted one NFL owner as having said, quote, we are counting votes, and quote, well, NFL insider Mark Maskey of the Washington Post, he on Tuesday afternoon came out with a piece saying that several NFL owners have said that they would support a significant league suspension of Dan if allegations of sexual harassment and financial impropriety against him and the team are substantiated. But Maskey also reported that, quote, no meaningful steps have been taken toward making a push to remove Snyder end quote. So there is that. Anyway, uh, writes Roger in his email, I just wanted to share a quick thought with you on Danny Boy's situation in its entirety. I just think that the reason the rest of the owners have prolonged the ousting of Danny Boy, or maybe even have protected Danny Boy, is because the owners must feel that if they go after him, he will most certainly air out everyone's dirty laundry. And Danny Boy, being the spineless little weasel that he is, will most definitely bring down as many owners as he can with him. And speaking of weasels, every time Danny Boy finds himself in a pickle, I can't help but think of his team of lawyers as the weasels from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Quick to respond and clean up his dirty work. Imagine that outcome. Who Framed Danny Boy? No, let's not hope for that outcome. Love the pod and keep up the good work. Uh, Roger, thank you for that. Great reference to a great movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I love that movie when I was a kid. Uh, So I, on Saturday, got a tweet from Tundi regarding Dan potentially leaking stuff on other NFL owners. Wrote Tundi, leaking what exactly? People say this all the time, but Dan isn't exactly 
in the inner circle of the NFL. What's he going to leak? <laughs> how, to, how to ruin a franchise? I doubt he knows anybody's secrets. And I wrote back to Tundy, look, Dan is an NFL owner. He has been an NFL owner for 23 years. That's 23 years of a lot of intel, you know, league meetings, phone calls, etc. Dan knows and has heard plenty. Who knows what he knows? Who knows what he has heard about, say, the personal habits of other owners? Uh, who knows what Dan knows about the improprieties of other NFL teams? We don't know. And think about this, too. If it's true that Dan Snyder leaked the Bruce Allen emails, and we don't know if Dan did that, but that is a theory that Dan himself leaked the Bruce Allen emails in order to embarrass Bruce and exact revenge on Bruce. So if Dan leaked the Bruce Allen emails, and for the longest time, of course, Dan liked Bruce, who knows what Dan might leak about other NFL owners and to what extents Dan might go to embarrass other NFL owners. We have no idea. Uh, Email from Aaron Bartell on the People's Corner, former Washington corner Jimmy Moreland, who, as you may know, was waived by the Houston Texans on Sunday. Uh, Well, Moreland was claimed off waivers by the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday, writes Aaron. I know he was a fan favorite with Washington and seemed on the surface to be a talented slot corner, although I know some analytics were slightly less impressive. When he got cut from Washington, I know more than a few were a bit surprised. Do you have any thoughts on how that went down or what the possibility was of him returning to Washington? He would have fit a team need. Uh, Thank you for the email Aaron, I still do not get why Ron Rivera soured on Jimmy Moreland. Remember, Washington, this past August 31st, released Moreland in the cut down to 53. Now, look, uh, we have to acknowledge this with Jimmy Moreland. He, in the 2021 regular season, barely played for the Texans, okay? So the league has an opinion on Jimmy Moreland. This is not just a Ron Rivera thing. But it's also true that Moreland in the 2020 regular season was Washington's primary nickel corner on a Washington defense that was among the best in the NFL. Moreland in the 2020 regular season played on 57.32% of Washington's defensive snaps in playing in all 16 games. And Jimmy Moreland, per the NFL's next-gen stats, was the number three slot corner in the NFL in the 2020 regular season. He ranked number three among all qualified corners in slot coverage success rate, which is the percentage of targets as the nearest defender that result in a successful play for the defense. So, you know, I'm not trying to tell you that Jimmy Moreland is, you know, Daryl Green, okay? But he did a nice job for this team in 2020. And the notion of bringing him back to compete in the commander secondary, okay, I'm not saying you have to hand Jimmy Moreland anything, but bring him back to compete. I don't think that that would have been nuts. I mean, right now, there is no obvious slot corner for the commanders. There are slot corner options, but there is no obvious number one slot corner. And there certainly is not a lot of depth at corner for the commanders right now. Danny Johnson ended up being Washington's primary slot corner 
as the 2021 regular season went on. And that an NFC East rival in the Eagles has claimed Moreland off waivers. I don't know. I, I don't love that, okay? Something happened to sour Ron Rivera on Jimmy Moreland. Nobody seems to know what. And again, I go back to Moreland barely played for the Texans last season. I get that. I do. Uh, but he played well overall for Washington in 2020. And uh, I was more than open to the commanders bringing Jimmy Moreland back, but that obviously did not happen. Well, everybody knows that the real estate market in the Washington, D.C. area is competitive. That's why if you are wanting to buy a home in the D.C. area, you got to get with Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. The D.C. area is a great area, but that also means that buying a home in the D.C. area is competitive. Here are some DMV real estate analytics for you. So contract ratios compare the total number of homes under contract in a given period to the overall number of active listings. A higher ratio points to an increase in contracts compared to supply. The number one contract ratio in the D.C. area in March was that of Kensington, Maryland, 2.3, which means that in Kensington, there were 2.3 listings under contract for every listing that was active. We had similar situations in Delray in Alexandria, Virginia, and in American University Park in Washington, D.C. The bottom line is this. Homes in the D.C. area are going under contract quickly after those homes are listed. So if you are wanting to buy a home in the D.C. area, you need a savvy realtor to ensure that your offer is the offer that wins. This is where Kellen Hunt comes in. Kellen Hunt understands the market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life, whether you're a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire, and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. He's a real estate agent for real people. And how about this? Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKel.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. As is always the case, I appreciate you listening to the Al Galdi podcast. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. 
Uh, the review does not have to be long. Uh, you don't have to be Shakespeare. This can just be a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast, uh, but the ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful, and I thank you for doing them. So we on Tuesday morning at the Commander's Team facility in Ashburn, Virginia, had the first offseason practice that was open to the media this offseason. Uh, the Commanders, since April 18th, have been conducting OTAs. Uh, OTA stands for Organized Team Activity. There are many things that an NFL team does in its offseason that fall into the category of OTAs, but the most prominent portion of OTAs are OTA practices. Uh, These practices are non-padded practices, and these practices are voluntary practices as opposed to the practices of the mandatory minicamp, uh, which is, yes, mandatory. Uh, What usually is the case is that an NFL team has three sets of OTA practices over three weeks. Then comes the mandatory minicamp, and then comes about a six-week break until training camp, and usually one OTA practice per week is open to the media and is followed by press conferences. Well, we on Tuesday morning had the first Commander's OTA practice this offseason that was open to the media, and it was after the practice that we had a number of press conferences. So over the course of this installment of the Al Galdi podcast and Thursday show and or Friday show, you will hear the most significant things that were said by the commanders on Tuesday morning, and you'll hear lots of discussion of what was said on Tuesday morning. Uh, in case you're curious, the batches of OTA practices for the commanders this offseason are May 23rd through the 26th, May 31st through June 2nd, and June 6th through the 8th, and then we get the mandatory minicamp from June 14th through the 16th. So, like I said, OTA practices are voluntary. We Every offseason, dance the dance of which players showed up for OTA practices versus which players did not show up for OTA practices. The commanders do not report who does and doesn't show up for OTA practices. So the onus is on reporters at the open practices to figure out who is and isn't in attendance. Now, we on Tuesday evening got a report from Commanders Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic that interior defensive lineman Duran Payne on Tuesday morning was at the OTA practice, but he walked off the field during the practice and declined to participate in team drills. Why? Lagging contract extension talks. Well, isn't that nice? Uh, Now we have Deron Payne not happy. Uh, Payne is entering the fifth and final season of his rookie contract. Uh, Remember, Washington last offseason exercised the fifth-year option in his contract, but we this offseason have gotten word uh, from Ben, in fact, that the commanders are not expected to even offer Payne a contract extension. Ben, on April 26, reported that the commanders this offseason are not expected to offer Payne a contract extension. And as I have said, this to me means that the commanders should be looking to trade Deron Payne, even though I do not expect the commanders to trade Deron Payne. You know, this Duran Payne contract extension situation has been framed as the commanders just not having the money for Payne. But to me, not even offering the guy a contract extension screams that you're just not that interested in keeping the guy. And that's fine. But if you're not interested in keeping the guy beyond this season, then trade the guy and get something back for the guy. You know, get something back of consequence. Don't just count on the compensatory pick that you may not even get because comp picks are dependent on not just who you lose in free agency, but on who you sign in free agency. But, you know, if you are interested in keeping pain, and to me, I think that the commanders should be interested in keeping pain, at least make him an offer if you're interested in keeping him 
beyond this season. I mean, he's not a great player. I think Deron Payne at times gets overstated by people. You know, for a while, there was this thing of, oh, Deron Payne's the best of the interior defensive linemen on Washington. No, he's not. Jonathan Allen is the best. But Payne is a good player. He's not a bad player. So I would make him an offer, but the commanders don't seem to be interested in doing that. And so if you're not going to be doing that, then trade the guy. Uh, As for actual absentees, the four notable absentees from the commander's Tuesday OTA practice were Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Terry McLaurin, and Cam Sims. So you had the team's top two edge defenders, the team's number one receiver, and I would say the team's number four receiver, right? Because Cam is behind both Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dodson. As for why Montez, Chase, Terry, and Cam were absent on Tuesday morning, here was the head coach of the commanders, Rod Rivera, during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning. As far as Montez is concerned, he had a personal thing he was taking care of. We expect him back tomorrow. Um, Chase, for the most part, is working with his uh, rehab. He's met with the doctors. They formulated a plan. He's completing that right now. Uh, we will have him here eventually. and I believe the next couple weeks he'll be here. Um, Terry, obviously, we're working through with his contract. I'm not going to get into specifics about that. Um, and who was the other one? Uh, Cam Sims. And Cam had a personal thing, family. I think he's having a baby. So uh. he's excused as far as that's concerned. So that's why those four aren't here. Um, but the guys that were here, very pleased with what we got out there in, uh, in spite of the weather today. I know you don't want to get into specifics, but what updates, if any, can you provide on the Terry contract situation? Uh, just that we're, we've had communications with them. We've been working with them. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of time. All right. So there was a lot there. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Cam Sims. Mazel tov to Cam Sims. Uh, what I want to do this segment, though, is deal primarily with the two Ohio State Buckeye absentees who Ron Rivera talked about in that cut, Terry McLaurin and Chase Young. Uh, let us begin with Terry. So Terry has his contract negotiation going on and thus is skipping voluntary on-field work this offseason until a contract extension gets done. This coming season will be the fourth and final season of Terry's rookie contract. As I keep saying, we are not yet at the point of panic. Uh, The start of Commander's training camp, to me, is the point of panic. If there's not a contract extension for Terry by the start of Commander's training camp, then you can panic. Uh, Then you can flip out. But we still have more than two months until the start of Commander's training camp. Consider when some recent big money contract extensions for Redskins slash Washington football team players have happened. Uh, The Skins and Ryan Kerrigan didn't agree on their contract extension until late July 2015. The Skins and Trent Williams didn't agree on their contract extension until late August 2015. Washington and Jonathan Allen did not agree on their contract extension until late July 2021. So, you know, Kerrigan, late July. Trent, late August. Jonathan Allen, late July. Uh, You have to be patient with these things, even though you don't want to be patient with these things. That said, things haven't been feeling great with this Terry McLaurin contract situation. NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB had a mailbag column that came out on May 11th. He, in that column, got asked about the commanders potentially signing Terry McLaurin to a contract extension this offseason. And Breer wrote, quote, the contract right now is nowhere. Negotiations haven't really started. End quote. Uh, okay. 
Commander's insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. Uh, she on Monday night tweeted the following, quote, as he awaits a new contract, Commander's wide receiver Terry McLaurin did not attend the start of OTAs on Monday, according to multiple people with knowledge of the situation. He has not attended workouts at all since the conclusion of the draft. When the offseason began April 18th, McLaurin participated in everything but on-field work. That changed after the draft. And quote, so this thing has evolved. We have gone from Terry not participating in voluntary on-field work this offseason to now Terry not participating in any volunteer work this offseason. You know, receiver Jahan Dotson at his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning said that he hasn't yet spoken with Terry McLaurin. That seems odd. However, did you notice what Rod Rivera in that cut that I just played for you said regarding the Terry McLaurin contract situation? Quote, it's just a matter of time. End quote. Here was that portion of the cut. I know you don't want to get into specifics, but what updates, if any, can you provide on the Terry contract situation? Uh, just that we're, we've had communications with them. We've been working with them. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of time. All right. It's just a matter of time. A Terry McLaurin contract extension with the commanders this offseason is just a matter of time. Uh, Look, I don't know if Rod Rivera said that flippantly, said that off the cuff, said that as just a throwaway line, you know, said that just as something to say. But if that wasn't just something that Ron said to say, in other words, if that was something that Ron very much meant, it's just a matter of time, i.e., hey guys, don't worry, we got this. We're going to get this Terry McLaurin contract extension done. It's just a matter of time. Well, that's obviously very encouraging. I mean, let's make something clear. The commanders very much should get a contract extension for Terry McLaurin done this offseason. There's no good reason not to pay Terry the big money that he's seeking. He's really good. He's very durable. He's no drama. He's a good teammate. He checks basically every box that you want to check. The market for receivers this offseason has exploded like never before. We all know that. Premium receivers now cost more than ever before. We all know that. And so I think it's actually quite simple. The commanders, if they truly want to extend Terry McLaurin, and they should, need to pony up, okay? 20 plus million dollars per year. And that's okay. He's worth ponying up for. And the commanders have the salary cap space. The commanders are not one of these teams in a real tough spot in terms of salary cap space. And if the commanders don't sign Terry McLaurin to a contract extension this offseason, and then he plays out the 2022 season, and then we go into the 2023 offseason with him set to be an unrestricted free agent, and then the commanders use a franchise tag on Terry, well, we know how that game ends up playing out, right? See Kirk Cousins, see Brandon Sheriff. Now to Chase Young. So the two notable absentees from Washington's 2021 OTA practices were Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Washington last offseason only held two sets of OTA practices, May 25th through the 27th and June 1st through the 3rd. Chase did not attend any of Washington's 2021 OTA practices. Montez attended the second and final week of Washington's 2021 OTA practices. Sounds like things are a bit different this offseason. Certainly sounded 
like Montez's absence on Tuesday was just a one or two day thing. He may have been absent on Monday. We don't know. Uh, Chase, of course, is rehabbing his right knee. Uh, He this past November 14th suffered a season-ending torn right ACL in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field. Uh, Now, you heard Ron Rivera say that Chase Young will be with the Commanders in a couple of weeks. Did Ron mean that Chase will be with the Commanders for the mandatory minicamp? Or did Ron mean that Chase will be with the Commanders for some OTA practices? More from Ron on Tuesday morning. I think it comes from the voluntary stuff, but uh, again, he has a plan that they've been working on. We've been in communications with them. He's seen the doctor. All right. Uh, a rather evasive answer right there from Ron Rivera. Remember, a big thing has been whether Chase Young will attend the commander's OTA practices this offseason. Not so much because these OTA practices are life and death. They are not. But because Ron very clearly wants Chase to attend these OTA practices. And Chase last season very clearly didn't always do as Ron wanted Chase to do. Chase's 2021 season was a major disappointment, and not just because he suffered the torn right ACL. Chase Young in the 2021 regular season was underwhelming. He played in just nine games. He finished with the following numbers, just one and a half sacks, just four quarterback hits, just three tackles for loss, an overall grade per pro football focus of 75.1. That's not awful, but that's not great. And Chase Young is supposed to be great. Washington spent the number two overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft on Chase Young for him to be great. Uh, Ron Rivera, in a piece that came out last November 4th by Michael Silver, on the then Washington football team's official website, said regarding Chase Young and Montez Sweat, quote, we would like to see a little bit more from those guys. They need to stop pressing and trust their teammates, end quote. Uh, Ron and Michael Silver are pals. Uh, They went to Cal together. Their relationship, per Michael, was why he last July took a job working for the then Washington football team, although I've been told that Michael actually is no longer working for the team. But we had that piece that came out last November 4th. Then we had Ron in a post-practice press conference last November 8th, spending the bulk of the near 17-minute press conference answering questions about Chase Young and being very upfront and specific about Chase's struggles and what he could do better. And, you know, Ron wasn't trashing Chase or anything like that, but Ron addressed Chase's struggles in a manner in which most coaches do not address players' struggles. And Ron, in those comments, made it pretty clear that Chase, as we had suspected, had been among those Washington players who, in the 2021 regular season, had not always adhered to what they were supposed to be doing. Then we had Ron Rivera at a day after the game Zoom press conference on January 3rd saying, quote, one thing that we have to understand is just how important the offseason is for us. Hopefully the COVID situation will be in control. Hopefully it won't be a battle to get guys to be here, end quote. Uh, Then we had Chase Young at his season-ending Zoom press conference on January 10th being very noncommittal about potentially attending OTA practices in the 2022 offseason. But then we had Ron Rivera in his press conference on March 29th at the NFL's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida, saying of Chase Young's 2021 season, quote, I think for Chase, it was a little bit of an awakening, a little bit of a realization. For us, I think hopefully the realization that we hadn't arrived has set in and that just showing up is not good enough 
end quote. Uh, also, Ron at that presser said that Chase was expected to attend the commander's OTA practices, uh, if not the entirety of the commander's 2022 offseason program. Quote, in my conversations with him, he says he's going to be here and I'm pretty excited to see him here, end quote. I bring all of this up not to make a big deal out of Chase Young not being in attendance at Commander's OTA practices so far this offseason, but just to provide the proper context for this issue of Chase Young and the OTA practices. We do know that Chase has been in attendance at some of the Commander's OTA work this offseason. We know that because the team has uh, put out photographic evidence of this. Uh, It's hard to say whether Chase Young not being at Commander's OTA practices so far this offseason is a sign of him still not doing as Ron Rivera wants Chase to do because Chase is coming off a serious injury, a torn right ACL. We don't know what he would be doing at these practices anyway. And as we heard Ron say, Chase has a plan that he, a doctor, and perhaps others have worked on. And there has been communication between Chase and Ron. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot here that we don't know. My point is this. Chase Young and Ron Rivera in 2021 very clearly were not on the same page. That needs to be different in 2022. And if that is different, then great. But if Chase and Ron still aren't on the same page, then that's a problem. Washington's defense in the 2021 regular season, it was a major disappointment. Chase Young was a part of that. And don't ever forget this, Washington's defense played its best football in the 2021 regular season while Montez Sweat and Chase Young were out. Washington's defense played really well during a five-game stretch that went from week 10 through week 14. That five-game stretch included a four-game winning streak. Montez missed all of those games. Chase missed all but about a half of one of those games. He suffered a season-ending torn right ACL in the win over the Bucks at FedEx Field in week 10. Chase Young is too talented not to be great. He wasn't great last season. He'll be coming off a torn right ACL this season. The last thing that we need is for him and Ron to still not be on the same page. So I just hope that that's no longer the case, and that may well no longer be the case. Uh, By the way, speaking of OTA no-shows last offseason, as you may recall, I, on the show for three Mondays ago, May 9th, uh, what was episode 310 of the Al Galdi podcast, discussed some very telling comments from Commander's Defensive Coordinator Jack Del Rio to Julie Donaldson. Uh, Julie is the team's senior vice president of media and content. The comments were made in an interview that Julie did with Jack for the commander's website. The interview came out on May 6th. Jack in the interview, which keep in mind was an in-house team conducted interview, unsolicited brought up that a Washington defensive back or that multiple Washington defensive backs had not attended the entirety of of the team's 2021 offseason program, and that that had been a reason for Washington's defensive struggles last season. Here was some of what Jack said. I think, you know, with our whole secondary here and working, unlike last year, um, which was a problem, you know, uh, some of it showed during the course of the year. I was disappointed last year when we did not have full participation. I thought it contributed to us having a poor year. All right, so those to me were very significant comments from Jack Del Rio. Well, Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic on May 16th came out with a piece in which he added some clarity to what Jack was talking about. Quote, Del Rio's reference is not about Phase 3, the on-field workouts. According to a source, the mention was about last year's Phase 2, 
where there was no full participation from cornerbacks and safeties, end quote. So with all of that as a backdrop, here was Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning on OTA no-shows for Washington's defense last offseason. You know, last year there was a group of veterans that missed, and, and you know, for, for various reasons, and that, that, that was a, a so point. I don't know if you saw it or heard it today, but you could hear the, the secondary with their communications. That's something that we really didn't get rolling till the middle of the season last year. Now you hear it from the beginning, which is, which is uh, a very positive sign as far as I'm concerned. All right, so Ron Rivera right there referred to OTA no-shows for Washington's defense last offseason as having been from, quote, a group of veterans, end quote. We still don't know exactly who Jack Del Rio was talking about, but what seems to be the case is that he was talking about multiple defensive backs. By the way, Jack wasn't talking about Chase Young and Montez Sweat in those comments to Julie Donaldson. Jack clearly was talking about defensive backs. And now it sounds like Jack was indeed talking about multiple defensive backs, not just one guy. And it was interesting hearing Ron call multiple Washington veterans missing some of Washington's OTA work last offseason as being a sore point. Uh, I would like to make two points. Number one, while yes, OTA work is voluntary, it really isn't some big ask to want players to attend OTAs. The NFL offseason is really long NFL players get a lot of time off, and NFL teams' OTA practices only last over three weeks, and last offseason, Washington's OTA practices only lasted over two weeks. Like, it's really not that big of an ask to want players to attend the OTA sessions, especially the practices. I mean, if you want to skip some of the workout stuff, okay. But these OTA practices are non-padded practices, and they're only spread out over a few weeks. Sometimes in life, it's okay to go above and beyond, you know? Sometimes in life, it's okay to do something, even if it isn't mandatory. Now, if you're in Terry McLaurin's situation, I can understand not wanting to do on-field work, right? Why put yourself at any kind of an injury risk until you sign that big money contract extension, especially when you have very much proven yourself over your first three NFL seasons. But by and large, I don't think it's a major ask to want your players to attend these OTA practices. All of that said, point number two, I think that it is ridiculous for Jack Del Rio to have blamed Washington's defensive struggles last season, even partially on the OTA no-shows. And maybe he just said what he said to get guys to show up to OTA practices this offseason. But again, I go back to what Ben Standing reported The no-shows that Jack was referencing were an OTA practice no-shows. They were OTA session no-shows, OTA workout no-shows. We're not exactly sure of the specifics of the no-shows, but we know that these were not OTA practice no-shows. But to be specific about Washington's defensive struggles last season, they really were about Washington's pass defense. Washington's run defense last season was good. The pass defense was not good, especially in the first half of the 2021 regular season. The pass defense over the first eight games of the 2021 regular season was terrible. Uh, Was better over the final nine games of the 2021 regular season, but even over those final nine games were some terrible games. I mean, think the 56-14 loss, aka scrimmage, at the Dallas Cowboys in Week 16. 
Uh, Washington's pass defense in that game was an embarrassment, got shredded by Dak Prescott. Uh, Think the two losses to the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, 27-17 at the Eagles in Week 15 and 2016 to the Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17. Washington's pass defense in those two games was bad. Washington in those two games got worked by Jalen Hurts. Washington for the 2021 regular season finished number 28 out of 32 NFL teams in pass defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric and finished number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in lowest opponents third down efficiency, 48.5%. To blame even a good bit of all of this on missed OTA sessions in April and or May of last year is ridiculous. Jack Del Rio had the mandatory minicamp last year. Jack Del Rio had all of training camp last year. Jack Del Rio had all of the preseason last year. Jack Del Rio had regular season practices last year to get his pass defense right, to get players in the secondary communicating well. And that clearly did not happen for a while. And I'm not saying that it was good that there were OTA no-shows for Washington's secondary last offseason, but at the same time, everyone, both players and coaches, are to blame for Washington's pass defense being such a disappointment last season. Well, if someone else's negligence is to blame for pain and or suffering for you or someone who you care about, never hesitate to contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611 and make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. For nearly 40 years, the Washington, D.C. personal injury lawyers of Paulson and Nace have represented plaintiffs in medical malpractice, drug, and other product liability claims, as well as countless other personal injury matters, all the way through trial and jury verdicts, winning and securing multi-million dollar verdicts and settlements for clients. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that offers tenacious advocacy for personal injury and medical malpractice victims throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you or your family is dealing with a personal injury or medical malpractice matter, contact Paulson and Nace and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. The phone number is 202-902-7611. You can schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You have questions, you have concerns. Lean on the expertise of Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611 and make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, I've known the Naces for two plus decades. These guys know what they're doing. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. The attorneys at Paulson and Nace offer clients in-depth explanation of their rights regarding treatment and consent and provide comfort and options to families. Paulson and Nace works with you. The family of Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions and can provide the answers to your questions when you need answers the most. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611 to schedule a no-obligation appointment and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Paulson and Nace. When tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family.
So it's hard to ever say that an OTA practice for an NFL team was super significant, but Tuesday morning's OTA practice for the Commanders was significant in that it was the first Commanders practice open to the media in which we got to see Carson Wentz as the team's starting quarterback. Commander Carson on Tuesday morning was on display. Uh, And yes, he is tall. (laughs) Uh, Commander's insider Ben Standing of The Athletic on Tuesday morning tweeted out a photo of Carson stretching next to Taylor Heineke. And the height difference was, shall we say, drastic. Uh, Carson Wentz is listed as being six foot five. Taylor Heineke is listed as being six foot one. But with the way that the photo was shot, Carson looked like he was seven foot five, and Taylor looked like he was five foot one. Uh, now, look, quarterback height is far from the be all end all. Plenty of shorter quarterbacks have done just fine, have not been great, right? Uh, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, but there's no doubt that you would rather your quarterback be tall than be short. Like, if all other things are equal, six foot five is better than six foot one. Uh, we know that Carson Wentz has a strong arm. Uh, he was receiver Jahan Dodson during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning on what has stood out to him about Carson Wentz as a thrower of the football. Um, how precise he is. Um, when, it, when he says he wants, he wants you to be somewhere at this exact time, he, he means that. Um, and uh, I'm trying to do that every single day. Uh, just learning more and more about him as a, as a pass catcher uh, and just getting to know him. Yeah, nothing from a football standpoint matters more from the Commanders' 2022 offseason than them trading for Carson Wentz. If Carson plays well for the Commanders this coming season, then the trade to get him on its own, in a lot of ways, makes the Commanders' 2022 offseason a success. Uh, This was Commanders head coach Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning on how Carson did during Tuesday morning's OTA practice. I thought Carson did some good things. You know, um, uh, he did throw the pick today, but, man, that was a pretty doggone good play by uh, uh, Corn Elder. I mean, it is very veteran move by Corn, But I thought he did some really good things, got some pretty good rapport with his guys. The thing I like is, again, it's about making good decisions. You're seeing a lot of good decisions out there right now. Um, I thought uh, Taylor had a pretty good day. He, uh, he had a couple opportunities. He missed a couple of them, but uh, he threw the ball well. I thought, again, uh, Sam came in, Howell, and did a nice job. All right, so Rod Rivera talking Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke, and Sam Howell. Uh, Rod referenced an interception that Carson threw on Tuesday morning. The pick was to corner Corn Elder. Corn uh, Elder, shockingly, is a former Carolina Panther. Uh, yes, he is a Commander. Uh, Washington, this past October 13th, signed Corn Elder of the Carolina Panthers practice squad. He was taken by the Panthers in the fifth round of the 2017 NFL draft out of Miami. So he was drafted during Ron's tenure as Panthers head coach. But what stood out to me the most from that cut from Ron on Carson was Ron saying about Carson, quote, it's about making good decisions, end quote. Uh, Ron brought that up again later in the press conference. This was Ron on Tuesday morning on what he wants to see from Carson Wentz during offseason practices. I'd like to just see him continue to progress. You know, um, you know, with him, it's just about making good decisions, making the right throws, um, you know, and, 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 you know and, and, and playing fast and not hurrying. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of going through what he's done. Uh, take what's out there, and he's done that. He did that today. 
there's a lot of good things. So a lot of positivity as far as I'm concerned. So Ron Rivera on Carson Wentz, quote, with him, it's just about making good decisions, end quote. Uh, Carson making good decisions. That very clearly was a theme on Tuesday morning in Ron's answers on questions about Carson. And the theme makes sense. The biggest concern with Carson Wentz is all of this, you know, leadership slash personality slash coachability stuff. But the biggest on the field concern with Carson is his decision making. If he makes good decisions, he can be very good. Where Carson tends to go wrong on the field is in making bad decisions. Uh, There are too many WTF throws from Carson Wentz. Not WFT throws, WTF throws. If he cuts down on the WTF throws, he could be very good. I do, though, want to point this out. Uh, Carson Wentz in the 2021 regular season for Pro Football Focus only had 18 turnover-worthy plays over 17 games. Uh, He, in the 2021 regular season, threw seven interceptions. You likely know that. But we also know that a quarterback's interception total can be misleading. And so it's always good to look at a quarterback's turnover-worthy plays per PFF. Carson, in the 2021 regular season per PFF, only had 18 turnover-worthy plays. That's really not that many. That's a little more than one turnover-worthy play per game. Okay, we could live with that. Uh, Now, Carson in the 2020 regular season had an NFL worst at 24 turnover-worthy plays over just 12 games. That's awful. But Carson's 2020 season was awful. Everybody knows that. Uh, The Commanders, as you may have heard, uh, are Carson's third team in three seasons. Uh, Troy Aikman, he has jumped from Fox to ESPN to call Monday Night Football Uh, He, on May 16th, did a conference call with reporters, and Aikman, during that conference call, said the following of Carson Wentz, quote, this is probably his last opportunity, just being blunt about it, to prove that he can be a franchise quarterback in the NFL, end quote. Here was Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning on what Troy Aikman said about Carson Wentz. That's fine. I think this is a good opportunity for Carson. I really do. I think uh, he's a guy that's wanted. We want him here. Um, you know, should we went out and traded for him, and uh, we do expect some good things for from him and for him. Um, very pleased with what we've got, and uh, he's done a heck of a job. All right, uh, perfect answer right there by Ron Rivera. He didn't truly address what Troy Aikman said about Carson Wentz. Ron simply talked up. Carson Wentz. That's exactly the way that Ron should have answered that question. But the truth is that Troy Aikman was right. Carson Wentz's opportunity with the Commanders most likely is his last chance to prove that he can be a franchise quarterback. Uh, Carson's opportunity with the Commanders most likely is his last chance to go into a season as a new team's intended starting quarterback. Like, maybe Carson as a backup quarterback for a team becomes its starting quarterback going into a season because the QB1 gets hurt. But in terms of a team going into its season with Carson as the intended QB1, this may well be it for him. Uh, But I do think that that can work in the commander's favor because assuming that Carson Wentz recognizes the reality then he should be motivated and determined and on his best behavior like never before. I think that it's possible that the commanders are getting a Carson Wentz who is desperate to succeed. And in sports, desperation can be a very good thing. 
You know, you can't fake desperation. And oftentimes, the more desperate team wins, and oftentimes, players most desperate to succeed do very well. Desperation can be an incredible motivating force. Up next, I'll talk Curtis Samuel. Could it be, might it be, that the commanders in the 2022 season are going to get the Curtis Samuel who they thought that they were getting when they signed him in the 2021 offseason? I'll get to that after this. Well, we all want to be healthy, but it's not easy to eat healthy. And let's be honest, it's not cheap to eat healthy, especially with inflation right now. And so that's why you should try Factor. Factor is an affordable meal delivery plan that provides you with delicious and healthy food. Whether you're trying to get or stay lean or you're trying to put on muscle, Factor gets the job done and saves you hours per week in that you don't have to worry about food shopping, cooking, or doing dishes. Uh, Factor offers 30 meals per week. You can choose from a variety of new meals every week, so you'll never get bored. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. Yes, two minutes. You can't beat this. Trust me, I eat Factor meals. My favorites have included the Keto Chorizo Chili, the Chichimuri Pork Tenderloin, and the Santa Fe Beef Bowl. All of them delicious. And understand that Factor meals are put together by registered dietitians and expert chefs who work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. You're going to love eating Factor meals and you can save $120 just by being a listener of this podcast. Here's what you do. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Yeah, you heard that right, $120 off. That's go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Give Factor a try. Eat well and save yourself time and money. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. You got to try Factor because fitness starts with food. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, more now off the Commander's OTA practice that was open to the media on Tuesday morning. A big topic on Tuesday morning was Curtis Samuel. Uh, wait for it. Curtis Samuel on Tuesday morning looked good. I know it's May, and I know Curtis Samuel last season had a total wash of a season. But as much as you may not want to hear it, Curtis Samuel was a good player for the Carolina Panthers. There's a reason that Washington in March 2021 signed Curtis Samuel as an unrestricted free agent to a three-year contract with $21.5 million guaranteed at signing. His first season with Washington was a nightmare, no doubt. Uh, Curtis in the 2021 regular season played in a mere five of Washington's 17 games due to the groin injury from hell. Uh, Curtis, over those five games in the 2021 regular season, had six receptions for 27 yards on nine targets and four carries for 11 yards over a total of 84 offensive snaps. That was it. Uh, We this past November 27th had multiple reports that Curtis in June 2021 underwent surgery. He underwent core muscle surgery. Uh, That revelation certainly helped to make his struggles with the groin injury make more sense. Uh, The injury clearly wasn't just like a pulled groin. The groin injury was far more substantial than just a pulled groin. Uh, This was Commander's head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning on how he's feeling about Curtis Samuel. Yeah, you know, I know who Curtis is. You know, we drafted him and Carolina and saw the success he had. So we believe his skill set fits what we want to do. We believe it fits very well. Uh, and he's, we think he's a guy that, you know, as he continues to progress and gets healthier and healthier every day, um, you know, there'll be some good things for us with him on our offense. Yeah, there better be some good things from Curtis Samuel this coming season. And I think that there will be some good things from Curtis Samuel this coming season. The Ron Rivera head coached Carolina Panthers took Curtis in the second round of the 2017 NFL draft out of Ohio State. Uh, Curtis Samuel was part of the Buckeyes 2014 recruiting class that included Terry McLaurin. And like Terry, Curtis is a very fast receiver. Curtis at the 2017 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-1-40. That is outstanding. Uh, Terry at the 2019 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-5-40. Curtis in the 2020 regular season had a career best season, 15 games, 77 receptions for 851 yards and three touchdowns on 97 targets. And Curtis does offer Ron Rivera's favorite thing, position flex. Uh, Curtis, over his four regular seasons with the Panthers, 2017 through 2020, had 72 carries for 478 yards and five touchdowns. He averaged 6.64 yards per carry. Know this, Curtis Samuel was a running back at Ohio State. But what about the groin injury. I mean, that thing lingered like crazy last season. And we now know that the injury was serious enough to have required core muscle surgery last June. Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning was asked whether Curtis's groin injury is something on which Ron can close the book. I'd like to believe we can. Um, I thought he's done a great job with his rehab program this year. I spent a lot of good time with our guys. Um, He's done some really good things on his own. So we just feel right now, and hopefully it's going to continue to trend up. 
Boy, it would be huge if the Curtis Samuel groin injury from hell truly is over. Because if that's the case, and that's a giant if, but if that's the case, Curtis Samuel essentially is a free agent acquisition for the Commanders for the 2022 season. Him playing for the Commanders in the 2022 season will be like a new player playing for the team because he barely played last season. Uh, Curtis Samuel himself did a post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning of having looked fast during practice, which, yes, was a non-padded practice, so who knows what it meant, but this was Curtis on Tuesday morning on at what point he got back his speed. Um, I, I feel like I've always had my speed. It just was the fear of, you know, what would happen if I run fast. You know, that was the, that was the main issue. It was just like I always had it in my mind, like, something was going to happen to me if I was running fast. So, like, now, you know, refresh mind, um, just excited to be out there running fast, feeling good. You know, after seeing myself do it over and over, training, you know, before OTAs, it's like, I know I can do it, you know? Loved hearing that from Curtis Samuel. Running fast, feeling good. Uh, The health of Curtis Samuel is something that we're all still sick of talking and hearing about. I get it, but it's something that matters a lot. And if it truly has improved, then that could mean many good things for the Commanders this coming season. Well, we on Tuesday night had not one, not two, but three games of note for the Nationals happening at once. Uh, We had the Nats' Major League game. We had Steven Strasburg making the first start of his minor league rehab assignment, and we had Joe Ross making the first start of his minor league rehab assignment. Uh, The Nats and their minor league affiliates lost all three of these games, and in two of the three games, the starting pitching was not so good. Uh, I'll get to what went down with Strasburg and Ross in a bit, but the Nats on Tuesday night got worked by the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park for a second consecutive night, a 9-4 loss in Game 2 of a three-game series, this off a 10-1 loss on Monday night. The Nats this season now 14-30, second-worst record in the majors. The Dodgers this season now 29-13, best record in the National League. Uh, the pitching matchup on Tuesday night at Nationals Park was enticing. Josiah Gray versus Walker Bueller. Gray, the former Dodgers prospect who the Nats acquired last July 30th in the trade of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers. Bueller is the Dodgers ace, but unfortunately, only Bueller on Tuesday night pitched like an ace. Uh, Gray on Tuesday night got shellacked seven runs in three innings. Uh, This was not good. He gave up five hits, three homers, and two singles. He issued three walks and a hit by pitch. He did record five strikeouts, but he over 80 pitches through just 47 strikes versus 33 balls. And, you know, this wasn't an outing in which Gray had like one bad inning. Uh, He struggled in the first. He struggled in the second. He struggled in the third. And then he was done. Uh, Gray in the top of the first allowed two runs. He issued a one-out five-pitch walk of Freddie Freeman. Gray gave up a one-out two-run homer to Trey Turner to right center field for a 2-0 Dodgers lead, despite him having been down at the count at 1.12, the homer going a projected 400 feet per stat cast. Uh, Gray then gave up a one-out single to Will Smith to left center field, despite him having been down at the count at 1.02. Gray then issued a one-out four-pitch walk of Max Muncie, 
Uh, Gray did then record back-to-back strikeouts for the second and third outs, but that two-run Dodgers first could have been much worse. Uh, Gray, in the top of the second, allowed three runs, uh, gave up a leadoff single to Chris Taylor to left field on a 1-2 pitch, issued a five-pitch walk of Gavin Lux, and then gave up a three-run homer to Mookie Betts to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 5-3 Dodgers lead. Uh, The homer only went a projected 358 feet per stat cast. Uh, The homer was hit right near the left field foul pole, so that is a shorter portion of Nationals Park in terms of getting a home run. But Betts got himself a homer, the first of two homers for Mookie Betts on Tuesday night. And then Gray in the top of the third allowed two more runs. He issued a win-out hit-by-pitch of Justin Turner. And then Gray gave up another homer. Gave up a two-out opposite field two-run homer to Chris Taylor to right center field for a 7-3 Dodgers lead, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. That homer going a projected 408 feet for StatCast. Josiah Gray on Tuesday night struggled, gave up three home runs. Each homer came in a plate appearance in which the batter was down at 1.02 or 1-2, and ultimately for Gray, seven runs in three innings. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on Josiah Gray. A lot of arm side misses. Um, didn't execute well tonight. I mean, it could have been a little bit that he was amped up facing his old team, but, um, you know, coming into the series, we know about the Dodgers, and uh, they walk, and they hit homers. And if you look at, look at what they did, he walked, home run, walk, home run, hit batter, walk, home run. So his pitch count got high. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't want, you know, we're hoping to get a little bit more out of him because our bullpen um, has been pitching a lot. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to send him out there with 80 pitches after three anymore. Did you, uh, when, when three of the homers, all three of them are on two straight counts, um, what's, he not, what's he not doing in those? Or, or what just, like I said, just not the location. Yeah. Just didn't finish. You know, he's, like I said, he was um, a lot of arm side misses. Um, couldn't locate, couldn't locate his, his fastball at all. Breaking balls, uh, some were sharp, some some weren't. Is it, can there be a thing where you're facing a team that does hit for so much power that maybe you try to pick around the zone and at least some you know walks like a command? Is that well, they, they, I mean, the, that, the, they got a good eye. They don't, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't swing up too many balls outside the zone. Um, so you got to throw the ball over the plate, whether it's high, whether it's down. Um, uh, in a little bit, you know, but it's it's got to mostly be over the plate. So um, they got good hitters. You know, I thought I thought Mookie hit a, a pretty good pitch, you know, um, but he's a good hitter. So uh, the walks, you know, the walks are, are the key. Yeah, the walks are key. Uh, it feels like walks always are key. Uh, so Josiah Gray on Tuesday night, seven runs in three innings, second time in three starts that he struggled. Uh, Gray in a 6-1 loss to the Houston Astros at Nationals Park on May 13th, six runs in six innings. Now, he in that game allowed five of the runs in the top of the first. The over his final five innings allowed just one run. Uh, he retired 16 of the final 20 batters he faced, but Gray in the top of the first of that game was really bad. Five runs on two homers, two doubles, and a single. Uh, I think that he was tipping his pitches because the rest of the game was a much different story for Gray, but he was not good overall in that game. Six runs in six innings was better in his next outing, a 5-4, 10-inning win at the Miami Marlins on May 18th. Three runs in six innings, seven strikeouts versus no walks, but Gray on Tuesday night was back to struggling. Seven runs in three innings. And, you know, Josiah Gray's ERA for the season now is at 544. That kind of snuck up on me that his ERA has spiked to that level, but it has. Nine starts, ERA 
of 544. And here is what is even more concerning with Josiah Gray. He keeps giving up home runs. Uh, Josiah Gray now in his career has totaled 117 major league regular season innings. That's over last season and this season. He over those 117 innings has given up 31 home runs. That is a staggering home runs allowed total for 117 innings. 31 homers in 117 innings. That works out to a home run rate, a home runs allowed per nine innings of 2.38. Way too many home runs to be giving up as a pitcher. You know, we watch Josiah Gray and we do see things that we like, and he certainly has pitched well in a good number of games for the Nats. Okay, he's far from like a lost cause or anything like that, but the overall picture of his work at the major league level right now isn't pretty. Two seasons, 117 innings, ERA of 546 over those 117 innings, and like I said, 31 home runs allowed over those 117 innings. Well, speaking of home runs, as in not hitting home runs, uh, here's all that you need to know about the Nats' offense on Tuesday night. The Nats out-hit the Dodgers 10-9, but the Nats lost the game 9-4. Why? Because the Dodgers smashed four homers, and the Nats hit no homers. Uh, the Nats' 10 hits were comprised of one double and nine singles. Uh, this is what the Nats do. They hit singles, and singles are nice, but home runs are a lot better. How about this? The Dodgers on Tuesday night went one for four with runners in scoring position. So the Dodgers, over the course of the entire game, just one hit with runners in scoring position, just four at-bats with runners in scoring position, and yet the Dodgers scored nine runs. Why? Four homers. The home run is the great equalizer. The home run covers up so many flaws. The Nats just do not hit home runs. The Nats this season, over 44 games, have hit just 27 home runs. The Dodgers this season, over 42 games, have hit 48 home runs. So the Nats have played two more games than the Dodgers have played, and yet the Nats have hit 21 fewer home runs than the Dodgers have hit. Uh, also, the Nats on Tuesday night left way too many men on base. Nats went two for 12 with runners in scoring position. Uh, Cesar Hernandez on Tuesday night as the Nats starting second baseman and number one batter, one for five, left four men on base. He and the Nats Three run first, had a leadoff infield single to beat a shift, but otherwise was not doing much. Uh, we also had another underwhelming game for Juan Soto. Uh, his struggles, by his standards, continue. Uh, Soto on Tuesday night as an at starting right fielder and number three batter, 0 for 3 with two walks and an RBI ground out. He left five men on base. Uh, you like the two walks, okay? But Juan Soto continues to not produce as we know Juan Soto can. Soto's OPS for the season through games on May 5th was 927. His OPS for the season right now is 824. His OPS for the season in less than three weeks has fallen by 103 points. Uh, Josh Bell is not hitting for power right now. He remains without an extra base hit since May 7th. Tuesday night was May 24th. Josh Bell hasn't hit an extra base hit since May 7th. Uh, he on Tuesday night as the Nats starting first baseman and number five batter, one for four with a single. Uh, Bell in the Nats three run first, had a one out run scoring single up the middle for a 3-2 Nats lead. Didn't get an RBI uh, due to a throwing error by center fielder Chris Taylor. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez has cooled off. He on Tuesday night 
has an at starting left fielder and number six batter 0 for 3 with a walk. A Yadiel in the bottom of the eighth drew a leadoff five pitch walk, but Yadiel now has been without an extra base hit in each of his last eight games. Uh, he has cooled off, like I said. I can't emphasize this enough. The Nats do not hit for nearly enough power, okay? This is a big problem with the Nats this season. Uh, now, the Nats on Tuesday night did have three guys who each had at least two hits. Two of the guys each had three hits, but each of those guys had three singles. Uh, Nelson Cruz on Tuesday night has an at starting DH and number four batter, three for five, with two RBI singles, another single, and a stolen base. I mean, Nelson is picking up some hits here, and he is going the opposite way a lot. In fact, each single that he had on Tuesday night was an opposite field single. That was good. And the stolen base was something else, right? Nelson Cruz, big guy, age 41 season, gets himself a stolen base in what ended up being a one-run Nat seventh. But Nelson Cruz is not here to hit singles. He's here to hit bombs. And he's not hitting bombs this season. He's not hitting for power this season. Uh, K-Bet Ruiz on Tuesday night as an at starting catcher and number two batter, two for five with a double, a single, and a stolen base. So it was Kbert who had the Nats' lone extra base hit in this game. He and the Nats' three-run first had a first-pitch double to right field. Uh, the Nats, by the way, three runs in that first inning. That is something that the Nats have done well this season, score runs in first innings of games. The problem for the Nats has been they'll score early in games and then not score over the course of the rest of games. Uh, and D-Strange Gordon on Tuesday night as an Nats starting shortstop and number nine batter went three for four with three singles. So okay, but again, the Nats out hit the Dodgers 10-9 and yet lost the game 9-4. Not enough power, not enough thump right now in this Nats offense. And there should be more thump. The Nats have guys who can hit home runs. Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Nelson Cruz, Yadiel Hernandez. All of those guys are capable of hitting for power. Uh, the Nats bullpen on Tuesday night was good. Five Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in six innings. Uh, Victor Arano in the top of the fourth did give up a leadoff homer to Mookie Betts to left field for an 8-3 Dodgers lead. Uh, Josh Rogers allowed one run in one and two-thirds innings. He in the top of the six allowed a run on a one-out single and then three consecutive two-out walks. But Carl Edwards Jr. looked really good. One and a third perfect innings with three strikeouts. Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless top of the eighth, and Paolo Espino tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. All right, let's get to the minor league rehab assignments, and then I have a Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez update. So we on Tuesday night had Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross each making his first start of his minor league rehab assignment. Uh, Strasburg is coming off his season-ending surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. He underwent that surgery last July 28th. Ross is coming off his arthroscopic surgery to remove a bone spur in his right elbow. He underwent that surgery this past March 7th. Uh, Ross on Tuesday night was good. Strasburg on Tuesday night was not good. Um, and each guy was pitching at a different level. Ross was pitching for the AA Harrisburg Senators. Strasburg was pitching for the low A Fredericksburg Nationals. We'll start with Strasburg. So he in a 6-1 home loss for the low A Fredericksburg Nationals to the Salem Red Sox allowed three runs in two and two-thirds innings. Now, when it comes to minor league rehab assignment starts, you don't get too caught up in the results. It's more about the process. It's more about the peripherals. So three runs in two and two-thirds innings on its own shouldn't necessarily trouble you. What troubles you is this. Strasburg struggled with his control big time, okay? He only gave up three hits, a double and two singles, but he issued four walks, 
He threw two wild pitches, and he threw just 31 strikes versus 30 balls over 61 pitches. Uh, He did record three strikeouts. I don't want to go too crazy with this. It's one outing. I think what matters more is how Strasburg is feeling on Wednesday morning and how he feels the next day, and does he make his next minor league rehab assignment start when he's supposed to, and is his velocity trending in a proper direction. So, you know, I'm not trying to like panic here on Strasburg, but he's already coming back from something that has wrecked pitchers, okay? Thoracic outlet syndrome. And in this first minor league rehab assignment start, he had a very hard time finding home plate. I mean, again, four walks, two wild pitches, and 31 strikes versus 30 balls over 61 pitches. It has been very hard to be optimistic with Strasburg in this injury comeback. I'm certainly rooting for the guy, um, but man, it just, it's its never felt good, okay? It's never felt good, and Tuesday night was not a great start uh, to his minor league rehab assignment, but we'll see. It's one outing. You know, I don't want to go too far with what happened. Joe Ross did look good on Tuesday night, so he started for the AA Harrisburg Senators. Uh, his start came in a 6-4 home loss, for Harrisburg to the Altoona Curve. I love these minor league team names. Uh, But Ross on Tuesday night, three scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Beautiful. Uh, He gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. Okay. He issued no walks. He did issue a hit by pitch, but he threw strikes. He threw 23 strikes versus eight balls over 31 pitches. So good job by Ross. Not nearly as good of a job by Strasburg, but you know, let's see how each guy is doing in terms of feeling with his arm, feeling with his body. Let's see if each guy can make his next scheduled minor league rehab assignment start. And let's see if the Nats can't get both of these guys back pitching for the team at the major league level sometime in early June. But we have a ways to go, given that each guy has a lengthy, and I mean lengthy, injury history. Uh, All right, I came across this regarding the futures of the Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo and manager Davey Martinez. So we know that each guy is in the final guaranteed year of his contract. Uh, Each guy's contract has a club option for 2023. Of course, complicating all of this is the learners being open to selling at least some of the team, if not all of the team. I think that the learners will be selling the entire team. I think that the learners want out of owning a major league team, but we shall see. But anyway, MLB columnist Bob Nightingale of USA Today Sports has reported that the Nats are expected to exercise their club option on Mike Rizzo. So that's obviously noteworthy. It's been hard to figure out, okay, where exactly are we going here with Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez given this ownership uncertainty? You know, we don't have a timetable for when this sale of the Nats might take place. The news that the learners are open to selling just broke a few weeks ago, broke back in April. We don't know if that's when the process truly started. Uh, It very well could be that the learners started the process of selling the team a while ago, and we just found out about this in April. Uh, We don't know. We don't know. But interesting that Nightingale has it, that the Nats are expected to exercise their club option from Mike Rizzo. Additionally, Nightingale has reported that the Nats have until the All-Star break to decide whether to pick up Davey Martinez's option, which Nightingale reports is valued at $4 million. So that's kind of a double whammy right there. First of all, that Davey's option is such that it needs to be exercised by the All-Star break. You don't normally have that with a club option for a following season. Usually, you can exercise the option in the upcoming offseason, but apparently that's not the case with Davies' option. And how about that 
$4 million price tag. We know how the learners feel about paying managers, and that is the learners do not like to pay managers. Ask Jim Riggleman about that. Ask Bud Black about that. That Davey has a $4 million club option for 2023. I tell you, if the learners still own the Nats in 2023, there ain't no way that they want to be paying the manager $4 million, even if that manager is a World Series championship manager as Davey is, especially given the state of the rebuild. The team isn't good, and I don't think anyone expects the team to be back to being good by next season. There's no way that the learners want to be paying Davey Martinez $4 million next year. So maybe the learners aren't even the owners of the Nats next year, but this is fascinating what's happening here. Sounds like Mike Rizzo is staying, uh, but I think it's possible Davey's gone after this year. And understand, both Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez deserve to be back, okay? They deserve the opportunity here to try to work the Nats way out of the situation that the Nats are in. But just because you deserve to be back doesn't mean that you will be back. Weird things can happen when it comes to managers with the learners, okay? We've seen that many times over the years. So I do wonder if we're seeing Davey Martinez in his final season as Nats manager, a $4 million club option for 2023, and the option needs to be decided on by the All-Star break. Game three for the Nats against the Dodgers at Nationals Park is on Wednesday afternoon at 4.05. Eric Fetty versus Julio Arias. Well, the Orioles right now are in the midst of a stretch of 15 games against teams in the American League East. This stretch is difficult enough, and making the stretch even harder is that seven of the 15 games are against the major league-leading New York Yankees. Uh, These games against the Yankees are battles, man, okay? (laughs) Nothing against the Yankees is easy, and the O's on Tuesday night certainly experienced that, a 7-6, 11-inning loss at the Yankees in Game 2 of a three-game series. The O's this season now are 18-26. and 26. The Yankees this season now are a major league leading 30-13. and 13. So the O's on Tuesday night overcame a 3-1 seventh-inning deficit, scored four runs in the top of the seventh, but the O's then allowed two runs in the bottom of of the seventh. The O's scored a run in the top of the 11th, but the O's then gave up two runs in the bottom of the 11th. Jose Trevino, a one-out walk-off single of Brian Baker. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman on Tuesday night struggled as the Orioles' starting pitcher. Four runs in six into third innings, although there was more to his outing than just that. The four runs came on four solo homers, two of which were by Yankees second baseman and certified Orioles killer Glaber Torres. So it's hard to say that a pitcher giving up four home runs in a game pitched well, And I'm certainly not saying that Bruce Zimmerman pitched well, but if you put the four solo homers aside, which I know that you can't do, but let's just do it for a moment, Zimmerman was good beyond the four solo homers. The only other hits that he gave up were two singles. He had five strikeouts versus no walks, and he over 85 pitches through 65 strikes versus 20 balls. So this was not some like debacle of an outing, but yeah, he did give up 
four homers, uh, though they all were solo homers. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman, now this season, over nine starts, has an ERA of 378. But this was a second consecutive start for Zimmerman uh, in which he struggled against the Yankees. Uh, Zimmerman in a 9-6 Orioles win over the Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Thursday afternoon, had the worst start that he has had so far this season. Uh, five runs in five innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles. He issued one walk. He recorded just two strikeouts. But Bruce Zimmerman overall has been good for the O's so far this season. Uh, Austin Hayes on Tuesday night had another big hit for the O's. Uh, he is the Orioles starting left fielder and number four batter. One for five, but the one was a solo homer. Uh, and he also had an RBI ground out. Uh, Hayes in the Orioles four-run seventh smashed a leadoff homer on a 1-2 pitch, and Hayes in the Orioles' one-run 11th had a one-out RBI ground out. Also, Rugnet Odor was big for the O's on Tuesday night. He is the Orioles' starting second baseman and number eight batter, one for four with a three-run homer and an RBI ground out, so a four-RBI night. Uh, he and that Orioles' four-run seventh had a one-out three-run homer despite having been down in the count at 1.02. Also, Odor in the Orioles' one-run fifth had a one-out RBI ground out. Game three for the O's at the Yankees, Wednesday night at 7.05. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday's show, episode 323, will feature much more on the Commanders. We have plenty more to get into off what Ron Rivera and others had to say during post-OTA practice press conferences on Tuesday morning. Uh, Also on Thursday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Game three for the Nats against the National League-leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park is on Wednesday afternoon at 4.05 Game three for the O's at the Major League leading New York Yankees is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. I know you don't want to get into specifics, but what updates, if any, can you provide on the Terry contract situation? Uh, just that we're, we've had communications with them. We've been working with them, and, um, you know, it's just a matter of time.